You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. Oh, what up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. On this episode, we have owner of Dry Farm Wines, Todd White, who made an appearance back in episode 119 two years ago. And since then, they have, uh, in the last three years, experienced a 60,000% growth in revenue. Uh, it's the, the product that they're selling is awesome. It's a keto-friendly wine, and they import it from uh, small farms um, in Europe. And because there's no additives and preservatives in it, it, uh, it doesn't mess with your insulin and uh, you can still sit, stay in ketosis when you're drinking it, which is pretty awesome. But this podcast is so much more because we get into the cool stuff that I like to talk about, which is philosophy, meditation, the way he runs his company. Uh, we talk about wine as a spiritual beverage. We talk about meditation. We talk about psychedelics for a minute. And these sorts of conversations you don't get to witness and you don't get to like really be a part of very often and it's uh, it's always an honor. It reminds me how how much I enjoy doing this, having conversations like this with Todd White. Um, there's also a special offer for you guys, which is a one cent bottle of wine. Yes, that's right. So go to dryfarmwines.com forward slash opp one as in one cent and order uh, order a one cent bottle of wine. Try the product because it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. Also, follow me on social media. That's Coach Sean McCormick. And I'd love your feedback. Uh, anytime you feel like giving us a, a, a big review, please do. Also, you may want to speed this episode up. You may want to speed this episode up by about 0.25 or 0.5. Uh, I listen to all my podcasts at that faster rate. Um, it just helps me listen to more. And this one, we kind of talk slowly, so you're probably going to want to um, speed it up just a little bit. It's an awesome conversation. I hope you guys really enjoy. Uh, everybody, Todd White from Dry Farm Wines. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. We're just going to jump right into it. Todd, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Man, I am super happy to be here today. I hope that there'll be some kernel of knowledge and wisdom that will be useful to someone out there. You know, it's been, this is actually a welcome back because you did an episode with Ryan Munsley just about two years ago. And in those two years, uh, your company, Dry Farm Wines, has gone through some massive, massive growth. And first, I just want to congratulate you. But secondly, if anybody li had listened to that episode where you talk about the importance of meditation and company culture. And I think there's probably some overlap between the Ben Greenfield audience and ours. If they listen to your appearance there, they know how important um, biohacking principles, stoicism, meditation, 
uh, presence of mind are in the company. How how has your company culture been tested in this time of of massive growth? Well, I don't. You know, it's we oftentimes think and talk about how really easy um, this remarkable trajectory has been for us. And I'm going to talk about what the challenges have been, but they're not as one would have expected and not as I expected. And so we, you know, we've grown in the last two and a half years, (laughs) 60,000%. And uh, with zero debt and no investors, um, and, you know, fortunately a profitable business. And so it's been in part, we owe most of it to our meditation practices and rituals and the fact that we have a really terrific product. So having a great product certainly helps, but it's been the practices that have allowed us to experience this growth with little to no drama and little to few business challenges. But we certainly learned a few things along the way. But it's you know it's been it's been pretty extraordinary in that it has come with um, not the expected challenges the 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 two primary challenges that we faced has been number one because we sell a very small production very rare kind of product we actually ran out of supply four times oh. in that in that two year period where literally because our wines, you see, they come from Europe and they're grown by very, very, very small organic family farms. And so, you know, you just, you just can't, you just can't get it here overnight. Right. And we were growing so fast and absorbing so much supply. We actually couldn't get enough supply and four times we'd like stop shipping product. And, um, you know, for up to 10 days, to, you know, while we're, you know, struggling to get supply. And so that was, that was the, that was one of the challenges. And the second challenge, because of our hiring process and because of our, how we view the, how we view life through the lens of, of working together with other people, we could not and still cannot hire enough people we want to work with right? We can't identify enough people fast enough to, and that has slowed down our growth, actually. Um, I mean, we could be growing much faster if we had more people, you know, but, but we're willing to sacrifice growth to protect uh, the integrity of, of the kind of environment we want to live in and create in every day together. And so those have been the two primary challenges um, is, is, and, and, and then the third, I I guess that's not really been a challenge, but a terrific learning experience is when we think about our culture, right? When we think about our culture of, of trans transparency and meditation and living a quiet and still life and, you know, trying to find silence and peace and calm, you know, how do you balance that with, with, a, a, you know, a rapidly growing business where you're trying to create contribution in the world and create a legacy of contribution, which is important to us. You know, how do you balance that kind of woo-woo with a life of creation that creates value in the world? 
leaving the world a better place than we found it. And so that that is that still hangs in the balance as we try to understand, you know, how do we manage a business team, you know, of high accomplishment along with an environment of non-judgment and unconditional love. Hmm. Right? And so we're still experimenting with what we call this this great life experiment in that we're trying to live differently in this holistic way and you know, and they're still, you know, we're still experimenting with what that means um, it, from, from, a, from a value creation perspective, you know, and, and holding people accountable, right? And this is particularly challenging with young people, right? And so that, that, that's the third thing. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a challenge, but it's more of a thoughtful investigation, you know, how, how, do we, how do we experiment further with getting that right? Well, I totally see it. I mean, as you continue to grow and create value in the world and run a company that attracts abundance and you yourself and your employees, you know, continue to grow, how, how do you keep that dynamic balanced and peaceful and present and and really spiritual um in its in its in nature because it's so tied to meditation like how do you continue to grow and also keep your principles uh and your values intact i i totally i totally i totally see it and it'll be interesting to see where you guys are in 10 years and 20 years and you know whether or not you're hosting meditation retreats on, uh, at, uh, uh, on campus or, you know, I, I don't know, just thinking, thinking that big, it's, it's an excellent problem to have. It must be. It is, but, but, but it, 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 it brings an intellectual inquiry. You know, it's, it's like, okay, how do we, you know, I, I, there are two books that I most often recommend that, that people who are interested in this topic matter read. And the first one, it's called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And the reason I recommend that first and how this relates to this topic is that Eckhart does, I think, the very best job of any writings I've read of explaining how destructive the mind is and how it works. What he doesn't do is offer a prescription for it. And the, and the second thing that he does is for a life of complete presence just now in this present moment. Well, the problem with that is that as an entrepreneur, as a creator, I can't just live in the present moment because I, to live in the present moment at all times is seems to be somewhat monkish to me. For sure. And I'm not a monk. I'm an entrepreneur. And so I'm trying to create value in the world. I'm trying to leave something better than I found it. I'm trying the world in a way that creates collective value, entrepreneurial value, and business success, because I find that entertaining, right? And I like it. And I'm also, I have a moral responsibility to secure the future of the people, the financial future of the people who are dedicating their life to me and my cause. And so I have a moral commitment to them and a commitment to myself in aging that I secure my financial future. So all that being said, you know, how do you live in the present moment in a life of peace 
while still having this level of achievement and contribution to both those around you and your collective financial future. And so balancing that, because that requires that requires that people do their part and be held accountable if necessary when they're not doing their part. So we, we focus our thinking around this in a manifesto that we call the Peace and Profit Manifesto, which is how, which is the document, it's a three-page document that guides the values of our company enterprise together. And the most important value that makes all this work in this meditative environment of a collective agreement that the single most important thing to us in life is being peaceful and at peace. And the thing that this, the value that is most critical to that is what we call self-directed responsibility. So each person must be responsible for how they guide their actions and must make good judgments around how they conduct their behavior, right? Not So that's management from the bottom up. That is like each person being responsible for how they interact in the environment. If they don't have that responsibility, then, and then we're going to have to separate with them because it's not possible to live within this peaceful environment where we have to constantly hold you accountable. If you're not holding yourself accountable, and not making good judgments around your behavior, then that's where the problem comes in. So the the central value is this concept of self-directed responsibility. Um, And so if you have that, then you can have a group of people who are all expressing themselves individually, but with accountability on themselves not pushed from the top down, but rather from the bottom up. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it does. And and what's the other what's the other book title? The other book is uh, is actually the prescription. So you, I just mentioned that Eckhart's work, The Power of Now, offers a tremendous understanding of how the mind works and how destructive it can be. But he doesn't offer a prescription for what I needed, which is how to go to the next step to <laughs> create this value in the world. Right. Because remember, I'm not a monk. <laughs> but I discovered another book quite accidentally um, that I had never heard of. And I rarely – I've only heard one other person talk about it on a podcast. But it is a, it is a, a manuscript that was written in 1912. Uh, it was written in 1912 by the author Charles Hannell. It's called The Master Key System. This manuscript was, it's not really a book. It was written as a 24-week correspondence course that you received via U.S. mail. And so it doesn't read like a book. Each chapter, if you will, each 24 parts were meant to be read and studied over a one-week period, and then you would receive the next chapter in the mail, U.S. mail. This was the book that was the foundation for many books that came after it, including Napoleon's, Napoleon Hill's work of Think and Grow Rich in 1942. All these books, and Napoleon Hill also credited Charles Hannell for his guidance on Think and Go Rich. And so this this manuscript, if you will, these chapters 
uh, don't read like a book. They are simple paragraphs of instructions and prescriptions about how to think and most importantly, how to manifest, how to manifest your life. The important thing to understand about manifestation is that we are all manifesting every moment of every single day. We are manifesting. The we are manifesting our outcome. The question is, how do we manifest? What are we manifesting? And how is that affecting our outcome? And so Charles Hanel's work in this 1912 correspondence course really teaches at a very, very deep and very prescriptive level how to manifest that outcome. And it was also the foundation for a book that sold some 10 million copies worldwide called The Secret. Now, I don't recommend people read The Secret. Well, <laughs> I, I, well I, I, I'd say it's a fine book to read, but there's some pretty wacky shit in The Secret. Oh, yeah. Right? And so I just don't, I don't fully subscribe to all of the thinking in The Secret, but it's actually The Secret how I learned of uh, Charles Hannell's master key system because it's it has been referred to by the author of The Secret in interviews as a foundational work, and that's how I discovered it. But I don't recommend The Secret because while I think it contains many, many fine uh, guideposts for manifesting a life that you deserve – it also contains some things I don't agree with, right? And so, but it was, but this, this 1912 Master Key System is a, an extraordinary body of work that really helps us understand how to, I think you should read The Power of the Now first because you should understand how your mind works. And then you use, once you understand how to get control of your, your mind, most importantly, the control of the, the trauma of thought, Right. Once you get control of the trauma of thinking, which is that reel that goes on in your head all day long and part of the night when you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't go back to sleep because you're thinking about some kind of bullshit business problem or some personal relationship issue that that real just that trauma of thought just spins out of control, out of control, out of control. You know, you're, you're not achieving anything with it. You're just in this spiral of the trauma of thinking. So what Eckhart does a great job of helping you understand how to manage that, that real. What Hanel's work does is give you a prescription for manifesting your outcome, whatever the outcome is that you want to be. And, you know, many people who listen to these podcasts are trying to have financial achievement. Well, if that's part of your manifestation, then you should learn how to manifest a financial outcome if that's what that's not money is not the most important thing to me in life if i if it were i'd have a lot more money um peace is the single most important thing to me in life uh and so once we have peace then we have inner joy and that peace which is why we have this manifesto we call the peace and profit manifesto that we wrote to guide our thinking is that we place peace at a much higher value over profits see profits without peace to me is misery there's certainly a lot of miserable rich people out there right and so i'm not interested in 
prophets without peace. I also believe in our world that peace is the foundation for our prophets once we get out of our way, right? So our primary problem in life that's fueled by this trauma of thought is getting in our own way. We all get in the way of what we deserve. We get in the way of our peace. And we get in the way of the profits that we deserve, you know, by our behavior, and most particularly how we think, and the trauma of that thought, which creates resistance. And that's the reason meditation is so critical to a path of peace and profit, because meditation allows us to quiet the mind. And once we quiet the mind, we start to tear down these resistant barriers that we built. With this trauma of thinking, we can't let abundance in when we're busy in this trauma. It's blocking the abundance that I believe we all have a birthright grant to this abundance of peace and love and inner joy. When we're born, the only thing we're afraid of is loud noises and falling. The rest of those fears are learned. Right. Right. And those fears, which become eventually the trauma of thinking, those fears and trauma are blocking the abundance that we deserve and are granted at birth. And so the, and we're, so this manifestation, which we're all doing at every single moment of the day, we're either manifesting fear, we're manifesting the trauma of thought, we're manifesting all this blockage, right? Once we can quiet the mind, and meditation is, is the most effective practice in, in my estimation, the most effective. Look, there are many ways of quieting the mind. They're watching TV quiets the mind. Drugs and alcohol quiet the mind, right? They're, they're, the porn quiets the mind, right? There are many ways to quiet the trauma of thinking. Does that make sense? Do you understand? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir, man. Right. So when you get on that porn, brother, you know, you, 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 you're not going to be thinking. You're, you're, you're going to be sucked down in to, in, into, that, into that vortex, Right. It's, you're going to stop. You're going to stop the trauma of thought for sure, because that 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 dopamine, that that receptor is much more powerful than than your trauma of thinking. Same thing for television, television, you know, movies. There are many ways to stop the trauma of thought. I just don't. I think meditation is the most effective towards the manifestation of a peaceful and profitable and contributing uh, life. I, I could not agree more. And I think that the key is that you have to do the work. You have to sit, you have to go back to your breath, back to your mantra. It's unlike any other practice in which like, like with TV, for example, you're going to quiet your mind. You're not going to be thinking about the trauma in your life or, uh, the conflict at work. You're going to be you're going to be quieting it so you can focus on something else. But the difference between meditation, obviously, and, and you know, I'm agreeing with your point, is that that in order to develop a practice, and I, I've, I've been a meditator since my, my folks tra- taught me uh, transcendental meditation when I was 12. And so I've been I've had a journey through me- different uh, meditative modalities through my entire life. And I, I uh, started uh, float tank centers here in Seattle. Um, 
and that is obviously another effective way to quiet the trauma um, that that just comes from living just living in life. But there is a difference. There is a uh, there's a there's a usefulness in being able to cultivate a practice in which you are in the driver's seat of your own thoughts, your own emotions, your response to negativity or your response to positivity. And that is like a superpower. And you've managed uh, to to take those principles and, and really the value of meditation and uh, let it spread out across your your staff, your culture, and grow your business because it's a it's a it's an op it's a modus operandi for for personal growth and apparently business growth too. Well, as you probably know, I would mention one other uh, popular means of of interrupting the trauma of thought that I didn't mention in that list. It's a really, really, really important one, and that's eating. Eating is a is another primary method that people stop the trauma of thought, and uh, and then consequently, as a result of the way most people eat and the frequency that they eat and the amount that they eat. They also uh, food acts as a sedative uh, that allows them to escape their reality for a little longer, other than just the just the uh, just the escape from the practice of eating, but also the consequent sedation that comes along with how and how much and what they eat. You know, further sedates them from much of the trauma of thinking. But yeah, this is we. You know, you as you're aware since you've heard me talk on these topics before, not only do I have a significant meditation practice individually, but at my company, we begin the first hour of every day together, 20 or so of us, 22, depends on who's in town, but uh, 15 to 20 of us sit in a circle for what we call the circle of love for a hour to hour and 15 or 20 minutes just depends on which practices are being how long it goes that day but we meditate and have these group practices together that begin the first hour of every day and so i think most everyone at my company if not all would tell you that the success the financial success and i hate to use success as a, as, as a word to describe financial achievement Success in, in my life is, is a peaceful journey of contribution and a legacy of helping other people realize their highest and best self. That's success to me. Yeah, man. Finan- financial achievement is, is, is a nice thing, but it, it's not really what I think is successful. Um, so, but in terms of the financial achievement that we've manifested, I think everyone would tell you that that the foundational cornerstone to that financial achievement has been our meditation and group practices together. I, I would encourage anybody listening to go back and listen to Todd's first appearance on the OPP, which is episode 119, where he goes into uh, the, the, the meditation practice um, – the peace and profit manifesto in more detail and 
you know, and I, I'd like to take our conversation another direction because uh, I think if people are interested in how dynamic a culture you've created, um, they can go back and listen to that one because it's it really does map it out really nicely. Um, uh, but the thought has occurred to me, uh, and and just again, I'll, and I'll and I'll just state it plainly for everybody. Todd is a hardcore biohacker, uh, wears black every day. Um, meditation, stoicism, like simplicity, meditate. I mean, like, so for, for everybody listening, just to kind of get a, get a, uh, get a sense on it. And you can always go back and listen to the podcast. Something sort of occurred to me, man, which is these, these sort of universal principles, um, that are, I believe, um, deeply esoteric in nature. And that's sort of a loaded term I know, but, uh, these are, these are deep pools of wisdom for people to use in their daily lives. And of course, we've gotten away from them, I think, in our modern culture. But there are, there are, there are champions of these types of thinking. Um, you know, um, Tim Ferriss being a major advocate for Stoicism. You know, your, your, your uh, meditation practice from, the, from your company culture. But these sorts of nuggets of wisdom, these um, operating systems are so universal. Uh, the law of attraction, um, universal mind, the I. I wonder about how wine and uh, the practice of drinking wine uh, – Wine as a sacrament, wine as a uh, a, a tool for Dionysus. Um, I wonder about your take on the sort of spirituality of of wine, even extending beyond how the farms that you uh, that you've partnered with for Dry Farm Wines. Even beyond the love and care that goes into every single grape that ends up in a beautiful bottle of dry farm wine, um, I wonder about sort of the spirituality and your take on uh, that sort of universal theme of of wine overall. Well, we have to separate. This is very important. We have to separate what wine really is and what wine has been historically versus what wine is today. This is a very, very, very important point uh, because the wine that has been a part of every part of humanity for the last uh, 8,000 years, 9,000 years of humanity has been a part of art and culture and friendship and society and um, religion and you know, this, which has been wine primarily. And this, this magic, this spiritual energy that is in wine is conveyed in, in, in a very, very special way for a very special reason. And, and, and that is, but, but it's important before we talk about what that is, it's important to separate what people call wine today versus what wine of yesterday was. And so for this same thing that's happened in our food supply, right? So it used to be that we ate hand, you know, hand-grown 
loved and nurtured food. That's not true anymore for most of us. You know, for most of us, we're dealing with a half a dozen significant corporate conglomerates, which provide most of the food supply around the world. Well, in wine, see, wine of 50 plus years ago is not wine of today. And so what I sell and drink is wine that was made the same way it was made a thousand years ago, right? Not the way it's made today. And there's a really important distinction in why that's important. Because the wines that are sold today in your store, I'm talking about 99.999% of all the wines that you ever see, are a commercial product that is has a factory-like production that contains additives and a whole bunch of other processes, uh, including a very important one uh, at the very end of the winemaking process where nearly all wines are sterilized with sulfur dioxide. Now, the reason that's important is because that kills the wine. It makes it shelf, it makes it a, a completely predictable product that's shelf worthy, that, uh, that kills every living thing inside the wine. All living bacteria, all gut-friendly microbiome that's in the wine are all killed by the sterilization process with sulfur dioxide. And so the reason that's super important is because what is in wine, the energy, the magic that is inside wine is all of that life that is killed. What we call the mummification of wine to McDonaldize it, right? So to create this shelf you know, this shelf-stable product that tastes the same every bottle in and out that you have. And it's like, that's not what real living wine tastes like. And so it's that life inside the bottle. It is that energy. When you drink a natural wine, and we can talk about what that means later if, if you like, when you drink a natural wine, and we only sell natural wines, they have not been treated with this additive sulfur dioxide and they have not been sterilized. And so this living energy that is the, the foundation of this, of this fermented product, this living bacteria, this living energy and life that is inside that is an expression and a fingerprint of the farmer who grew this wine. See, wines are natural wine. Real wine is grown, not made. Because nothing happens in the cellar other than a natural fermentation process. There are no additives or adjustments. Now, the wines that you see in your store have all been adjusted and have additives and have been mummified or killed with the sulfur dioxide. So natural wines have this alive energy. And it is that energy that has for centuries. It is that energy. It is that energy that has created this mystical, spiritual quality that is wine and uniquely wine. And when I say uniquely wine, what do I mean by that? Wine is the only spiritual beverage, alcoholic beverage. Wine is very unique in its sole aspect that wine is the only beverage like that that is actually grown and fermented by the same person. Right. So like you spirits or beer, all the growing occurs by someone else, the grains or hops or that's all grown, you know, on, on a big farm. And then somebody 
separate than that, some cellar master than ferments. It was see with wine or natural wines, particularly not commercial wines, because those are grown commercially and industrial, but natural wines, the grower actually brings the entire process from soil, living soil to your lips. And with the, he, he owns, he or she is everything, right? They have loved and, and produced this magical spiritual thing that is living wine completely throughout the process. And so that is very unique in, in the beverage world in that this one person from seed to your lips is this one individual who has cared and put all of their energy into this living wine that is natural wine. And so, but again, I only explain all that because I think it's important to understand that the entire history of wine, right, and all of its magical transformations and impact it has had on culture throughout, you know, human evolution has been these natural living wines that are not wines that most people are drinking today, which is why when I said we have a great product, which is part of our business success or our business financial achievement, right? Part of that is we have this great product that truly makes people feel different and truly empowers them with an energy. You taste and can feel an energy from drinking these wines that is not, that is unlike anything that people have ever really experienced with what they think is wine today. And so when they experience this, you know, they have this extraordinary feeling that is the energy that is contained in this bottle. The bottle is alive. And so don't, I'm not, I know that could sound like a sales pitch, but it, it's it's not a sales pitch. We're we're selling plenty of wine. Yeah, it's it, it doesn't it, it doesn't it it's it, no, it sounds like just, just trying to help people understand when we talk about the history of why wine has played such an important role in you know even the Stoics you know were terrific wine consumers right right and why why wine has played such an important role in all aspects of history. It's been because of this living energy that was in real, natural, honest wines. And that is not the experience that almost everybody has with wine for the last 50 years, right? And so that's the reason that, that I want to make that distinction because it's really, really important when you look back across history and understanding why wine has played such an important role in, uh, in, 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 in thought and particularly Certainly, since the Stoics, I, I think that's I think that's important, and I'm appreciate I appreciate that you took the moment to cl- to qualify that because the wine that we that most of us think about isn't actually wine. It's some like Frankenstein concoction, like this zombie, like you said, this sort of mummy product that that doesn't lift you up, that doesn't uh, that doesn't allow you to speak more eloquently that that doesn't empower and embolden but rather you know suppresses and yeah so let me let me let me just grab that for one second because this is a really really important point that you just brought up so see what alcohol what wine what the wine modern wine the wine what people think they know as wine today 
actually, like many other beverages, it actually, it checks you out. It doesn't tap you in. Yes. Right? And so what I'm looking for, the experience I want to have in this journey is I want to get tapped in, brother. I want to get tapped into the spirit. I want to get tapped in to awareness. I want to get tapped into creative expression. I want to get tapped into love. You see, regular wine just checks me out. I don't want to be checked out. I don't, when you, when you drink, I don't want to drink to get checked out. I want to drink to tap in. And it is that living spiritual quality that allows us to get tapped in it. It is that natural alive product that is natural wine that was used for centuries for people to tap in to a more gentle awareness, right? To become more emotionally available, to become more tapped in. And so when people are drinking to check out, this is very unhealthy. And the same thing could be said for psychedelics. It's the same view I have on you know, it's the same view personally I take on the difference between psychedelics and marijuana, as an example. I think that, you know, many people who smoke marijuana are checking out. They're not tapping in. Psychedelics are very different in that respect. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I, I think that uh, I think we have certain uh, understandings or, or even, you know, I think a lot of people kind of fool themselves to, and I'm guilty of this too, especially when, you know, when it comes to cannabis is, you know, I'll smoke because I think it makes me more creative. I'll smoke because I think it, um, you know, uh, makes me want to pick up the guitar. Uh, and what, what really happens, uh, and I'll speak for myself is if I'm using it too frequently, um, it's, it's pointing, it's, it's directing me toward the fridge and the couch and not towards my wife and a paintbrush, you know, and, and cannabis can be, can, can really be tricky with that because it's a master plant because it's a powerful, it's a powerful substance that's getting stronger and stronger. Whereas like to your point, um, you know, um, a weekend, uh, ayahuasca session or, um, you know, a, a heroic, a heroic dose, as McKenna would put it, of of psilocybin, or even you know um, MDMA at a at a festival, that lifts you up. That 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 um, expands consciousness. It doesn't contract. To your point, right? Well, I mean, I think you know my personal experience with with THC. I mean, I, I there's no question about it that it enhances creativity. There's no question about it that I think it amplifies our creative juices with music as an example. I completely agree with that. The, it's certainly been my experience with it. Part of the reason that works, and same thing for the psychedelics, part of the reason it works is, again, it's removing us from the trauma of thought and really allowing us to tap into a flow state. And so it's more than, you know, it's really amplifying our opportunity to connect into flow. And all I'm suggesting that, if you use meditation correctly, you can do the same thing without, without the stimulus. And, and look, let me also say alcohol is a very, very dangerous neurotoxin. And I am not an advocate of alcohol. Alcohol is not even my drug of choice. Now, alcohol 
must be dealt with very, very judiciously, which is why we only sell and drink, which we haven't mentioned this yet, but we only sell and drink low alcohol wines, right? So most of the wines I drink are in the 10.5% alcohol range. We sell wines as low as 6% and nothing over 12.5%. All traditional wines in the U.S. today are averaging nearly 15%. So when you go from 15% to 10% alcohol, that's a huge reduction in how the alcohol is affecting you. But let me be perfectly clear. I don't believe typically marijuana is much of a productivity enhancer, and I certainly don't think alcohol is either. But both in very microdose forms can be beneficial in elevating creative expression as can psychedelics. And there, you know, the, the, we could go down a wormhole on any of these topics, but I just say, you know, alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin and people are very surprised to hear the wine guy crash on alcohol. But I'm, I'm just telling you that that is, that is my point of view on it. And I have a lifelong interest in alcohol, I've been a lifelong wine aficionado since I was in my teens. And I can tell you there have been times in my life where alcohol has been somewhat destructive in my thinking and the outcomes of my life. Now, it didn't wreck my life. It hasn't, you know, it's never, it's never put me off track in any kind of a serious way. But, I, but there have been periods, particularly before I discovered natural and low alcohol wines, you know, there have been periods where I thought alcohol was very unhealthy in my life. I quit drinking at one point just before I discovered these wines and what was really – I quit drinking for a while I, just because I, was, I just didn't feel like it was doing anything to enhance my life. And so – and I just was losing interest in it. So, you know, all of these, all of these things have to be – all of these stimulants and these, um, these substances of altered consciousness all have to be – all have to be managed very gingerly. You know, we, we can't just we can't just dive down the wormhole. We have to have be very careful with how we think about all of them. Um, and and I, I know you probably feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think I think temperance and balance and moderation and knowing yourself are 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 universal qualities that we all can apply. Um, to the and knowing your drug dealer. <laughs> I'm a drug dealer, right? So, so you got you got to know your dealer. I mean, there's this there's this whole hyper interest in psychedelics, particularly, right? You know, and and CBD now, and 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 there's all this hyper interest in the biohacking community, particularly with psychedelics. Look, you got to know your dealer, and you've got to also experiment and be very careful with that experimentation and quantified with that experimentation. I'm a drug dealer too. I'm in, I sell alcohol, right? So you need to know who I am. You need to know what my values are. You need to know what I stand behind when you drink this product. You need to know what, what we believe in and what our values are and the experience we want you to have spiritually and also uh, physiology, from a physiology point of view. You need to understand what we believe in and what's in that bottle. And you need to have that trust that, that in us – to procure that drug for you in this beautiful passage that is this nat natural wine. I'd say the same thing about any kind of stimulants or 
you know, um, substances of altered consciousness, particularly like psychedelics, and particularly with synthetics. Now, even mushrooms can 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 be very different from from you know batch to batch, if you will, or or, or stems and caps, and you know. So it's you know, which is why personally, generally, when I do mushrooms, it's generally a ground up combination of stems and caps i want it all kind of into one mixture yeah right because they're very different that's the way to do it so this and and typically i would microdose not i'd do a heroic dose of once or twice a year right yeah just because i find it's a reset not not any more than that and i typically do it alone yeah right and so i mean for his i'm talking about for a heroic reset uh, and it's jolting. I don't want to be with anybody else, right? Because it's it's pretty jolting. I need to have a significant focus on riding that wave, right? A significant focus on keeping control of the top of that wave. And it's not a party, right? It's it's a focus on trying to keep in touch with with my reality and stay grounded on that ride. That makes sense to you, I'm sure. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and if you don't know where they came from, they could have been grown in an environment where they there were um, environmental factors. There could have been grown in an environment uh, where people were being mistreated or overworked or maybe just um, um, cast aside, you know, whether it's uh, – I mean there's lots of different – places to find it but knowing 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 your dealer that's an excellent point and i hadn't thought about i hadn't thought about that in terms of wine but you, no well for sure right. i'm a dealer yeah i'm an alcohol dealer right <laughs> it's a drug and there's and here's the reason here's the reason the wine industry has loved the fact that alcohol has risen steadily over the last 20 years in commercial wines why it's now nearly 15 percent on average and can be much higher Right. And most people never pay any attention to what the alcohol is in a wine. They just don't think about it. Right. But it's a really, really important consideration. And the reason the wine industry and the alcohol industry, why the wine industry loves these alcohols creeping up in wine is because alcohol is addictive. And it is also what I call a domino drug. So the more of it you ingest and the quicker you take it in, the more it will impair your judgment. And that impairment of judgment causes you to drink more even faster well that sells more wine sure and so this domino effect in addition to this the dangers of of this addiction right it is why we believe and why we only drink lower alcohol wines because i don't want to fuel that addiction and i want to keep control of that judgment and what I'm really, what I really want to happen with a microdose of wine, what we call microdosing wine or microdosing alcohol, what I really want to happen there, here's the positive aspect of alcohol. Alcohol is also legal, right? So that's another significant, and alcohol is also, or wine in particular, also has pretty ubiquitous cultural acceptance, right? So <clears throat> there are a lot of reasons why wine you know, has some advantages over illegal drugs that mushrooms you go to prison for or schedule one narcotic, right? I mean, they shouldn't be, but they are. Right? And so 
LSD, same deal. Uh, now, as you know, there's a lot of studies and lots of work going on now with uh, with uh, PDS, uh, with uh, post-traumatic uh, stress trauma. There's lots of depression, lots of studies going on with mushrooms and LSD and other psychedelics. MDMA. That MDMA, yeah. ayahuasca, um, DMT, lots of, lots of studies going on. And, and this is all very positive. None of these drugs should be schedule one, but today they are. So alcohol does have this one advantage and wine in particular, that it's so culturally accepted and it's also legal, right? But the positive aspects of drinking a low alcohol wine, the positive aspects of drinking this natural living, energized, fermented grape juice, right? The, that contains for red wines over 800 polyphenols and antioxidants in addition to that the 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 real benefit here i don't drink during the daytime and i don't recommend anybody else drink in the daytime for a whole bunch of reasons we don't need to cover but i I don't recommend that people drink in the daytime and i don't either but at night around the dinner table with family or friends new and old here's what happens here's why we bond See, this is a very bonding experience. We bond. Here's the positive aspects. Here's the beautiful thing about a low-alcohol, living, natural wine. One, we begin to have a gentle euphoria, right? That expands into more creative expression. This expands into the opening of our emotional availability. Yes. So – it opens our heart to love yes. and to be loved, right? And so anytime, listen, anytime you want to talk about dope, dope is love, right? Anytime we can get more love in our life and we can express more love to others, this is the dope that connects us all. And so this is, this is, what, this is what wine legally and culturally empowers, and, histo- more and, and historically too. I mean, to the point. Absolutely, and this, this, but, but again, that expression of love, and that sharing of love, that comes from getting tapped in, not checked out. And so, it when we tap in, and that's what these natural low alcohol wines allow. When we tap in, that's that's the expression that it rolls down that window of vulnerability. It makes us just a little bit more emotionally accessible. And so when we become accessible, that's when love starts to flow in with abundance. And love is the universal human dope. We all want it, need it, and want to express it, but we're so fearful, right? So wine helps with that fear. Yeah. Yeah, lowers lowers the inhibition. Well, and also because of the 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 ceremony around wine, you know, um, with people, with food in the evening time as part of a a, a greater celebration, you know, um, you're usually talking. Sometimes you're dancing. You know, somebody's getting married. Um, that that as a as a tool as a mechanism for. Uh, elevated consciousness is is undeniable, you know. And-, and meditation, yeah, and meditation gives us this natural way of elevating our consciousness, and that's the reason it's so much more valuable than wine or psychedelics, or because 
what meditation does is train the mind to live in a state of higher consciousness and presence. And the value of meditation is not during meditation, although some wonderful things can happen during meditation. The value of meditation is the rest of your day, right? When your mind has been trained to find silence, your mind has been trained to understand the stimulus and to be aware of stimuli, right? And so, you know, Viktor Frankl, uh, one of the greatest selling authors of, of all time, you know, and, uh, in his heroic book about his time in a concentration camp and the people who survived and those who didn't, you know, he has a a wonderful quote um, that that time between the stimulus and your response is your power and freedom. And what, what meditation does is it teaches your mind, it trains your mind It trains your mind to expand that space between the the, the stimuli and your response. And that space is your power and freedom. And so when, when you have a quiet mind, you expand that space of response. And that expanded space gives you a more thoughtful and a more peaceful response to whatever that stimuli is. Do you, and that, that's, that's really the power of meditation. Do you, um, do you meditate if you've had a glass of wine or two or a bottle? I, I don't. I, 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 I don't. I, I, um, uh, I'm such a wine geek. I, I just, man, when I'm drinking amazing, these handcrafted artisan, extraordinary natural wines, only made in small quantities, all these far, you can't make natural wines in very small quantities. These wines are so magical and spiritual when i'm drinking wine when we're drinking wine um oh man we're just so focused on that wine and how it's how it's evolving in the glass and how it's changing and as it's oxidizing how it's expressing its spirituality how it's expressing its minerality how it's expressing its terroir the the place of where it was grown and you know the the grower and we're just so kind of focused on that i'm not not thinking about meditation at all we're just like <laughs> super hedonistic You're just in it. super hedonistic about wine you know yeah. so um and so you know like we look at like you know like i know some of my friends who are like super into marijuana and stuff like they look at a bud and you know how sticky it is and it glistens and how it smells and you know and how it burns and you know that's their thing sure. you know for us when we're drinking wine it's kind of like we're just like really into it like it's a spiritual experience so I don't meditate. There are three times during the day when I have meditations. So I do a 30 to 40-minute session. It's the second thing I do when I get up in the morning. Uh, the first thing I do is make my bed um, because it just sets order in the room, even if I'm in a hotel room, which I am. I travel a couple hundred days a year. Even if I'm in a hotel room, I still make my bed first thing in the morning. Um I want that sense of an early win. I want that. And with pride, like that shit is tight. Yeah. Nice. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of artful, right? So it's like, everything's got to be just perfect. And to me, that's an early win that like sets order in the room as well. You know, it's really, it's really, I want the room set with a sense of order. 
right? The second thing I do is meditate. Now, I meditate between 30 and 40 minutes. That's my first meditation um, in, in, in the day. The second meditation I have is if I am at my office, if I'm in town, in, in Napa where our offices are located, if I'm in town, I then meditate with the team for an hour between 10 and 11. There are other practices in there, and we should probably touch on a couple of those. But that's the second time. And the third time I meditate, which doesn't happen super often, but maybe once or twice a week, um, particularly with all the travel I do, my time zones are constantly in flux. I spend, uh, I'm in Europe every six or eight weeks. Um, I'm right now I'm in Canada. Um, you know, a few days ago I was in Florida and central time zone a couple of days before that I was in California and, you know, Pacific time. And so I do travel a lot, I sleep in a lot of unfamiliar places. And so occasionally I wake up earlier than I want to wake up, or I might wake up in the middle of the night, not knowing kind of what time it is. And, and so the third time that I meditate, is when if I wake up, I, I will meditate and get control of my breath and visualizations to get focused on a very quiet pattern of breath and meditation so that I can quickly fall back asleep. And so oh, and okay. I, draw, I draw on that meditation practice to get back quickly back to sleep as opposed to tossing and turning and you know, trying to find peace, I employ meditation to get back to sleep. So those are the three times I don't meditate at night. Now, when I first started my meditation practice, I was in a really dark place from a from a business failure and just kind of a life breakdown. I was in a really, really dark place, which I'm super grateful for because it's what allowed me to discover meditation and consequently my awakening um, and my return to my birth self innocence. It was meditative. It, it was this kind of disaster that was a business failure and consequently my grief associated with it that led me to the desperation of seeking anything that would help me find some peace in my life. And so from that, I discovered meditation. But the point of that was when I first started meditation, um, I meditated twice a day in the morning and in the late afternoon. But that only that only continued for about a month or two, and this was four, four or four and a half years ago, and so that 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 continued. I, I unlike you, I was not fortunate enough to have any concept of meditation as as a as a young man, or even as even as an adult, until I stumbled into it through this pain and grief. Look, I I think we should be te- teaching meditation in schools. Yeah. I think we should be teaching many life skills. Oh, yeah. Meditation being the foundation. We should be teaching people how to balance a checkbook. You know, we should be teaching people how to think about the life process, none of which we teach anyone. And, uh, and, and most young people today just don't have access to mentorship. Now, the people, our friends, and you and I are constant self-learners with immense self-curiosity uh, and experiment with all kinds of biohacks and curious learning processes, which lead us to vast self-improvement. But most people don't have that, nor do they have any kind of guidance or teacher. Some have churches or other 
spiritual guiders, leaders, but but most people don't are not curious enough to go out and seek the knowledge that you and I seek. So, but <clears throat> I think meditation for me in the very beginning was super helpful from session one. Like I got immediate benefit only because I think I was in such a dire and desperate and dark place, you know, and, and, and darkness cannot exist in the presence of light and darkness and fear and anxiety can't exist in a place of gratitude. So this is another reason why I think that gratitude therapy and, you know, really staying grounded and present on how grateful we are for this magnificent life that we live. This also helps break down anxiety because fear and anxiety and darkness cannot exist in the same presence as gratefulness. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you're, you're, you must, you, if you're not a life coach yet, you ought to be, uh, I, it, it, the, 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 these core principles of meditation, of gratitude, of temperance, of balance, of knowing yourself, of, you know, optimism and, uh, curiosity. I, I think that they are so important to be, to, uh, however people are listening to this, um, to learn about, learn about dry farm wines and to, um, to extrapolate some wisdom from this. It's just there. You guys should listen to this twice because there's so many cool nuggets being pulled, um, in this conversation that here, I think people get a little bit, uh, I think they might even, maybe it's too, too woo woo for them. Maybe they don't, they don't understand that transformation can happen in an instant. Maybe they are fidgety. Maybe their body or their brain isn't, uh, is sort of imbalanced chemically and they're, and they're not receptive, but it, it does, it, it has a tendency to sound out there. And until we as individuals explore our own minds and explore ourselves in the way that we think about the world and, and what we want and what our goals are and what we're trying to do while we're here, not in a, you know, hashtag grind, hashtag, hashtag kill it, hashtag hustle mentality, but in a um, self-awareness and being understanding of, of where we want to go, like there are there are some tools that just work and they've, and they've always worked and they will continue to work. Uh, and yeah, gratitude, gratitude is a pillar of that because like you said, nothing else can exist in, in no anxiety, fear, hatred can exist when you, when you have a gratitude practice and the, the, the science supports that, you know, the science supports that when you have a practice of gratitude, when you're intentionally grateful for the things in your life, you get immunity boost, you have better relationships, you're happier, you live longer. And I think that platforms like this and conversations like this with people like yourself hopefully serve as a reminder to reinforce these principles that we all just need to hear over and over and over again as 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 often as we hear all the crap that's going on we need to hear these messages gratitude is 
so foundationally important. When we live a life of appreciation and not expectation, that's when we start to find joy and real peace and purpose and meaning in life. And so, the, you know, here's the, the important thing, I think, in, in, in how to think about this differently, right? I, I'm always trying to find the difference. You know, if everybody else is doing something that doesn't seem to be working for most of the people, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find what is that difference. And, and that difference is living a life of, for me, of gratitude and, and appreciation and trying to spread more love, right? How do I spread more love and less judgment and more acceptance and more unconditional love? And the more of that I can add in my life, the more enriched I become. And what's happened in the business press today and much of the life coaching, I just don't agree with. I'm not a life coach. I'm, fortunately, I have the great honor and privilege of being a teacher and a student daily with the people I surround myself with, who I create with at Dry Farm Wines. And so that's the extent of any coaching that I do typically. Um, and But this 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 concept of striving right so in the business press and you know on the cover of all these business magazines it's like you know this striving you know this kind of do more work harder work longer be more persistent that I, my greatest financial achievements and the greatest successes i've had in life have been from doing less <laughs> have been from thriving not striving, but in order to thrive and in order to receive this channel of abundance that is available to all of us, we must stop creating resistance and blockages to these channels. Meditation, in my estimation, is the very best way to reduce those resistances and blockages which is why I'm such a huge proponent of it and, and why I'm a proponent of allowing yourself in peace to thrive and accept the abundances that are your innocent birthright grant, right? And so you can't accept them in the trauma of thought because you're blocking them. This is the reason that I think meditation is so monumental. And so, and you can only experience, I, look, I can tell you all of this, but it won't mean anything to you unless you experience it. And the only way you can experience is, is to commit to a practice. And everybody quits meditation for exactly the same reason, because they say they can't stop thinking. Well, there are some hacks and shortcuts that we may not have time to cover here, but there's some hacks and shortcuts to stopping that trauma of thought during your meditation practice. I'm happy to talk about that, although I know we're coming up on time. But there are some hacks. However, meditation is a practice, and we get better with it in time. Now, I hear a lot of advice out there about stopping for five or ten minutes for your meditation, ten-minute session. Now, I would, I would readily, uh, readily suggest that a 10-minute practice is better than zero. But my personal experience is that 20 minutes is sort of a minimum effective dose. And, and so um, there's a tremendous amount of 
people out there, you know, suggesting that a, a 10 minute will do it for you and just get 10 minutes in. And I, I agree that 10 minutes is better than zero. One minute is better than zero. But a minimum effective dose, in my estimation and, and, and observation in other people that I experience this with, is that 20 minutes is sort of a, a minimum effective dose. But this, this striving as opposed to thriving is a really important concept. What we say no to, in my estimation, is usually way more important than what we say yes to. And so trying to minimize you know, what we're doing by allowing to be calm and thrive and accept the abundance that we're due. Invite and manifest that abundance through silence, through the silence of the mind. Now, I'm not talking, when I talk about silence of the mind, I don't get too woo-woo shit on anybody out there, right? <laughs> because th th this, this is a different thing. See, the mind, the mind generally acts out in destructive ways, but it can be very productive in objective thinking and problem solving, which we need to employ, which is why I can't be present all the time because I have problems to solve and objective um, things I need to create in order to propel the value for it I'm trying to create in the world by helping people live a healthier life while they drink, right? And so I, I have to block and tackle. That's objective problem solving. That's not the kind of thinking I'm talking about. That's not the thinking most of us do most of the day. Right. Right. And so, you know, another concept when I talk about thriving is minimizing actually the amount of time that we are creating so that we can create at our highest value, which is why at Dry Farm Wines, we are only open and creating together, which is what we call work. We're only creating together. About five or six hours a day because we don't meet until 10. We meditate for an hour to sometimes an hour and a half. So we get started creating between 11 and 1130. Everybody gets situated. And then we stop creating around five o'clock, between five and six in the afternoon. And then there'll be some breaks and the people get coffee and stuff in between. But so there's probably only about four hours of, you know, kind of focused creation. And, I, you know, we don't send after our emails. We don't do group. I'd probably do two group emails a month. They, they, we don't do reply to alls. I don't even reply. And, 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 and my, my fellow creators know this. I don't, when somebody sends out an email that would, to me, that they've done a good job on something, I don't reply back to them. Thank you. Great job. I, don't, I never send replies to any emails. Unless the reply is critical. That's as a courtesy to their email box. That's a good practice. I, email, I like that. I think email is one of the most destructive tools on the planet. Oh, my God. You're right. And so I, I want to minimize your email box, and I want you to take every – because email is not peaceful, right? No. And so I tell, I tell my folks, my co-creators, people I'm, I spend my day with, I tell them, you should know. Every time you send me an email, you should know I love you and I appreciate all the tremendous value that you create in my life. And if I'm not loving you and feeling that, if I'm not feeling that you're creating tremendous value, I'll let you know. The rest of the time, you just, you just be aware that I appreciate you and that every single act that you take, I'm in great gratitude for.
And I'm not going to send you an email to tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> what a novel concept. Email is, email is, man, email is such a destructive force. It's terrible. It's and, so and, terrible. And so we don't do reply to alls. We, we don't, uh, we don't, we don't do, I don't, I, in my previous life of striving, and my previous life of, of expectation from others, Dude, I was up at 5, 5.30 in the morning on the Stairmaster, had my computer right up there, sending out emails, touching people, working over the weekend, sending emails out at 10 o'clock on Sunday night, at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. You know, I, this is so destructive, right? This is so destructive to peace and, and, and to the feeling of wholeness. Right. You, I mean, you can't have your associates getting these emails day and night from you with all these demands and copies to all. And they don't know what's what's important and what's not important. And they're trying to just manage the whole thing. Right. Well, all of that takes away from the peacefulness that is the foundation of a creative life that generates value. Right. And so that's the reason. I mean, we just I don't send emails over the weekend. I don't send emails at night. Uh, I don't generally try to send them in the morning before opening. Occasionally, I'll need to get one out. I should use the, I should use the service. I was thinking about it yesterday. That occasionally, because I'm traveling, I'm in different time zones, and you know, I need to use this service that will send it out when I want it to be sent out. You know, because um, I don't want people. I want people to get up to a peaceful, peaceful morning. Right. And so all of these things that I used to do in, in, in the life of expectation and striving, you know, I don't do any of that anymore. And what I, I'm in the peace and profit manifesto, the single most important thing is to lead with love and create peace. And where peace exists, it's been my experience that you'll find prosperity and profit to follow. Does that make sense? Here, here, man. Here, here. Well, I'd like to ask each of my guests one question at the at the end of the episode to kind of take it home. And we've covered so many different topics, and we got to have a follow up, Todd, because we there's so much more to get to. Um, uh, and yet, in 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 the heart of balance and um, and love and peace, <laughs> um, answer this question for me. Everyone should know that. Everyone should know that inside all of us, in our birthright innocence, in the beginning, that we had no fears. Everyone should know that we will find our greatest sense of peace and joy when we return to that innocence that we were granted and when we absolve ourselves of these manufactured concepts and ideas that are founded in fear. And everyone should know that the quickest method to that realization and return to your birthright innocence that is so pure and glorious is through meditation. Todd, thanks for joining us on the OPP today. It's been a big time. I, I love you. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate the work you're doing and, I wish everyone who hears this a path of wellness and health and abundance and peace in their life.